Hi, I'm Dan Holman, and my definition of relentless is the endless pursuit of your passion. Whatever that is, relentless for me is about you never giving up. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Relentless Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Dubay. Excited to be here today. We're going to have an interesting conversation about the retail world, which maybe some of you are thinking, why are we going to talk about the retail world on the Relentless Podcast? I actually find it fascinating and people in that realm in that world need to be relentless to be successful so we have a guy on here who has done just that and now does consulting to help people in the retail world dan holman who is the ceo of canadian retail solutions plus 37 other titles that you have (laughs) but we're gonna use that one today it's good yeah. to have you here, Dan. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. We have met in the past a couple mm. times quickly. For sure. Uh, full transparency. I say that a lot on this podcast. Dan uh, met us through uh, Rob Lalsher, yep. who is a Road 55 guy here. Yep. Uh, and also to mention that Dan is a very successful podcast host. <laughs> And you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna find out when you listen to his voice because he definitely has a great <laughs> voice. Um, and it's called the Wealthy retailer that's it and i have to say it slowly because sometimes i say realtor which is i know that's bad right like, it's not bad but like <laughs> the words are so close and i'm yeah. not smart anyways um we met and you actually uh, you're a supporter you can use services too yes you, sir you buy a table at comedy nights every year i think for the last two three four years yeah and um and i think you're coming back this year 100 percent. and you just you support what we do which i appreciate yeah. very much all that being said dan first question no no we'll ask that question later dan where are you from uh geographically i was born born and raised in southwestern ontario a little town called waterloo everybody knows kitchener Mm -hmm. um, home of oktoberfest i was born in waterloo uh lived most of my life there Mm -hmm. um as i as i sort of grew and and married we moved out to the country with our kids and went back to really where our roots were my my family grew up um in southwestern ontario my dad's dad was a was a truck driver my dad's grandfather was a farmer and a a truck driver Um, so we sort of moved back to that little country life when our kids were, you know, sort of pre-high school. Yeah, yeah. Give so you, oh, so when, when did you come up to Alberta? Moved to Alberta in 2007. Oh, I didn't realize it's, it was yeah. that recent. Yeah, it's, it's, it feels like a long time ago now. This right. is home. Right. We certainly don't. I mean, the, geographically, we miss some of the things in southwestern Ontario, sure. but this is home. Sure. Uh, no intention to, to go back east other than to say hey to uh, you know the people we love out there. I thought you were one of those guys that moved out here when you were 18 to the promised no. land in, in <laughs> no. the 80s or the 90s of the promised land of Alberta. No. no, but I did have a business partner and said, you're going where? I said, I'm going to go to Edmonton. Oh, the land of milk and honey. Oh. I said, well, we'll find out. <laughs> wow. Look at that. I thought it was more the land of oil. Oil. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so you come out here in 07. Yeah. So what brought you out here? Uh, a job. I, I accepted a position with a furniture company here and, and came on uh, in 2007 as their general manager to really lead the day-to-day operation. And then after a couple of years here, we bought bought part of that company and, and ran that company for another several years and until uh, until the end of that chapter. And then okay. what were you doing into, prior? Like what were you doing in Ontario? I was a consultant. So I grew up in the furniture business. Okay. Um, I spent a little over, you know, probably 12 years with a furniture company, and we we started as a as a relatively small interior design studio, uh, one store, and grew that to seven locations. Mm. And 
and a little over $55 million a year in, re in, wow. in revenue. So we, I, wow. I went through the pain that the retailers I work with today are, are faced with. I right. grew a business. Right. Um, and as that business closed, as that chapter closed, someone said to me that we worked with uh, for several years, boy, if you ever want to be a consultant, I've got a gig for you. Mm. And uh, that sort of sparked me. I, I kind of like this. You know, I, I'm a little bit like you. I love to hear myself talk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I love to I love to lean on history and yeah. experience and yeah. and help people avoid some of those pitfalls or when they hit them, help them get out of them quickly. Sure. Without you know losing their emotional integrity. Right. Right. So there's there's you know that was a good transition for me. Let, um, can we talk about furniture for a second? Sure can. I remember when my wife and I got married, and then we were buying furniture because mm. I mean, it, <laughs> tell you be coming to you yep. buying furniture. Yep. And I remember some dude telling me, I don't even remember the store. Um, and, and cause you go to kind of some of the bigger stores mm -hmm. and then you go to some of these little guys and the little guy goes, well, just so you know, um, every single couch is built. I think he said in two places or something like right. that. Is yeah. that true? It's, it's fairly accurate for sure. It's so interesting. Yeah. Components are generally built in one place and assembly is in another place. And you know, when you think about a sofa, there's a lot of components in a sofa that mm -hmm. all we think about is sitting my fat ass in it. Sure. But there's more to that. There's somebody that makes the cushions and somebody that ties the springs. Sure. Somebody that builds frames. And but, then it, the but, but essentially, it's done in like two or three places yep. in Canada. That's it. Well, it depends. I mean, I certainly. Mean, the we high see, end, you're getting this out of Italy. You're getting or this North, out. I mean, North America, really, North Carolina was the hotbed for furniture. It was mm. the homeland of furniture back mm. in the day. Still is. Um, you know, North Carolina is where a lot of those manufacturers, North American manufacturers landed. Here, we saw a lot in Vancouver and Toronto, right. some in Montreal, but really a lot in Toronto yeah, yeah. that, you know, the leather factory would be down the street from the frame factory and then they'd, they'd meet in the they'd middle and build middle. furniture. Yeah. I had no idea we were going to talk about furniture on the podcast, <laughs> but I just remember that. There's a memory that yeah. I have of that dude saying that to me and me going, well, then why are the prices all so different? <laughs> Um, so you come out here, you're, yeah. you're, you're in the furniture business. When you come out here, you take it to this level and then you yeah. got into your consulting. Well, I sort of started consulting in 2007, um, before the end of, of what was called the home fashion market, home fashion market group of companies represented three different, really, uh, um, types of retail furniture brands. We had a low end or entry level product called the fur uh, furniture direct which was really an Ashley home store. Okay. So we carried an entry-level uh, uh, price point of product and had four of those stores spread around Southwestern Ontario. And then we had our higher-end design-driven stores, which was really our roots. Okay. Um, and then in 2005, we built out a store in Mississauga called Stan West Interiors. Um, and Stan West Interiors was another level of luxury furniture okay. goods okay um so really a place dependent. i would have never gone yeah nor i yeah, if yeah. i if i didn't grow up there sure. I, I probably wouldn't shop there either yeah. but certainly that and so as that home fashion market group of companies wound down i really took that guy up on the offer to come and do some consulting and i'll, I'll tell you a quick story so they say to me hey if you ever want to do this we've got a place for you um so we're coming to the end at home fashion market i pick up the phone and i call him and say hey i'm I, i'm i'm keen on this and he said, okay, well, the next step is to meet our CEO. I'm like, okay, great. CEO sent me an email and a plane ticket. Come and see me in Colorado Springs. They were a software company that had a consulting arm. Um, so I flew out there. Um, I had a CV built, a resume, sat in front of him across his desk. And he, he pondered for four or five minutes without saying anything, staring at this resume, flipping the pages back and forth. And he said to me, 
uh, where did you get your degree? It's not on here. <laughs> and I said, well, I got my degree in the school of hard knocks. Right. You know, I've lived it. And he said, I'm sorry. And he pushed my resume across his desk and said, I could never put you without a degree in front of our clients. I was broken. I'm like, mm. are you kidding me? Um, so I got up. I, I dried my teary eyes <laughs> at my next failure that, was, that hadn't started yet. Mm. Um, and on the plane ride home, something inside me said, screw him. And I went after some of his clients. And that day I landed a client that was forever their client. And she is still with me today. Wow. Um, you know, whatever we are 15 or 18 years later. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so in that sort of transition from being an owner operator in a store to being a coach or a consultant, I gathered a bunch of clients, which is where I met this client here in Edmonton um, at Cotswood Interiors. And I came to start consulting with her. And, you know, in 2007, you pretty well opened your door and money fell in, mm. in Alberta. Mm. It wasn't, you know, you were labor challenged and Milk you just and accepted. Honey. Yeah, Milk yeah, yeah, and yeah. honey. And so we tried to hire a GM and it had no success. And we were at dinner one night and she said, well, why don't you take the job? And I said, you know what, Sue, I appreciate the offer, but I'm never going to work for somebody else again. Right. I'm going to be in charge of my own sort of destiny, sure. if you will. Uh, and she said, well, then ownership needs to be on the table. And that's kind of how that conversation started. I called my wife on Halloween night here. And I said, what do you think about moving to Alberta? And she said, well, if you think that's what we have to do, I'm, I'm behind you. Mm. And uh, I moved here December 1st. Mm. They followed me on about the 28th or so of December. Yeah. They being my wife and two children. Yeah. At the time, you know, both of them, one finishing high school and one sort of in grade, I guess junior would have been in about grade nine or 10, yeah. 11 ish, maybe. Uh, when we came out here. So we, we grabbed our kids and, and brought them out to a completely different environment, which today isn't a whole lot different than where they grew up. Sure. Sure. You know? Yeah. Like you, I do not have a degree. Mm. I'm assuming, tell me if I'm wrong, like you, there were times in your life. And I think that that was one of those times, which actually turned into a very motivating factor yeah. for you. But at the time, pretty devastating it was and and i have often struggled in my life going you're a loser yeah. man yeah you don't got a degree no one's going to care what you have to say right no one's going to want to listen to you or follow you or you won't be successful right <coughs> and i am so successful now <laughs> listen i look in the mirror some days and i think hey that guy looks pretty successful and then other days i think boy boy he's eating craft dinner tonight. yeah i uh, know i'm the same I, obviously i'm joking um that being said the way that i've, I've described it like, i mean there's a lot of my colleagues that are executive directors and stuff and they've got their masters and mm -hmm. their degrees and masters and doctrines and sometimes i'm sitting in the room going i don't think i belong here right but then i go no you know what i do because I, I've learned along the way, um, my journeys took a bit longer than others, and, mm -hmm. and that's okay. So I love that your story, and we're not here advocating don't go get a degree. Oh, God, no. Like, we're not saying <laughs> that. Our lives might have been a little easier if we had. Right, right. But you can still... You right. can still be successful in your own right yeah, if you and work hard and put your head down and grind it out. If, you, if you're open to learn. I mm. mean, the challenge with most people is that they follow what they believe to be true rather than what we can prove to be true. Mm. And they believe they, they know enough. They, they believe they can do it. And that education that comes, you know, whether through a degree with a great practicum or like me, I grew up on the street. I mean, I learned retail sure. by being by in doing it, it, by failing at it, yeah. really by failing at it. Yeah. I mean, my greatest 
victory is the failure that was that that company that grew from five million to 55 million that's a victory but at the time it felt a lot like a failure but what i learned through that i couldn't hire a a prof to teach me that Mm. that's not what we teach kids Mm -hmm. today even in advanced mba courses we don't teach them how to live in Mm -hmm. the in the business well theory is theory right and you know, you got to have the experience. You do. You got to have the experience. I even think of my my shop with, with my staff. It's a rarity that we hire somebody that doesn't have a lot of experience because right. obviously the work we're doing is pretty intense with these young people. Mm-hmm. And you can read all the books you want on Right. It. That's fantastic. I want that lived experience. I want people that can come in and they've, they've dealt with a hundred different situations right? so that they have that intuition and that gut feeling. Mm-hmm. That they're going to need to use, yep, right? I agree. Similar to what you're talking about. For sure. Similar For sure. To what you're talking and I about. think, you know, by not, I, and again, I'm not advocating don't get your degree. You nope, need your degree. Am I. Because it teaches you to consume information, mm. process it, and then actually regurgitate it. Sure. You know, what did you hear? How does it change your perspective on something? And now deliver that back to well, me. Well, it, it's all about critical thinking. For it's sure. It's about discipline. Yep. It's about, I mean, I think that some people look at degrees. I know that even I would as a guy that doesn't have one. They goes, oh, you made a commitment to that. Right. And that's actually very impressive to me. Hey, mm-hmm. I'm pushing my kids to do it. Right. You know, um, no, I just find that that's a cool part of your story, to be honest with you. Yeah. Probably because it's a part of my story. <laughs> you know, we yeah. have that in common. Yeah. Um, what does, what... What does retail mean? Because mm. I think it is a wide variety of things. Retail is, 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 I mean, it's a lot like labeling someone by their heritage. Mm. You know, everybody comes from somewhere else and there's sure. so many different iterations or versions of retail. For me, you know, my core audience, I say audience, the people that, that I follow and follow me are really independent retailers. Mm. You go to a hockey game or a soccer game, it's that client. It's my client's name on the back of that kid's soccer jersey. Okay. You know, they live and breathe in our community. They're yeah. they're the ones that support us. And when you go door knocking, you know, you're going to talk to a bunch of independent businessmen, businessmen and women. And in retail, that's really what they are. They're business people. Mm-hmm. And I call them. I mean, certainly retailpreneurs, but entrepreneurial. Being entrepreneurial in retail is just that. I take something for a dollar and I I sell it for two. But in that transition from where I buy it and where I sell it, there is a ton of effort that goes into that and a lot of learning that has to happen. So, you know, from various kinds of retail, you think about specialty retail, apparel stores, sporting goods stores, um, any kind of what what the old, you know, label mom and pop shop. Well, that's what we really, you know, are born and bred to serve Mm. is the mom and pop shop, the ones that are making a difference that are trying to put their kids through college or you know, some version of getting from point A to point B in, mm-hmm. and using retail as that mechanism. Mm-hmm. And then we have a whole other subset or, or overarching retail that is the empires, what we call our corporate or our enterprise level retailers. You know, we talk about Canadian Tire and Golf Town and, you know, these big Nike stores mm-hmm. and they're all, that's a different level of retail. Mm-hmm. And part of our success is working with those big guys big guys and girls, some of the most intelligent retail minds on the planet, and bringing some of what they do every day down to that independent specialty retailer. Mm. You know, so what is retail? You know, retail is just the ability to buy for one and sell for three. We, uh, we used to billet hockey players. Mm. And uh, 
I will drop the name of this store, and we don't need to get into it. <laughs> but it was just, it was just, this was a funny story to me. Bill had this young lad, and uh, I don't know if it was the first supper. Uh, I mean, and Dan, as you get to know me, you know, like mm. I'm, I'm relational. Like I'm, yeah. and my poor kids when they when they have people come <laughs> over, they're like, oh god, here we go, because I will ask a bazillion questions. Yeah. I've been that way since they were just little, right? And so, of course, our hockey players are going to now live with us. I want to get to know. So I said, oh, so what do your folks do? And he says, oh, they're in retail. Mm. And I went, okay. I didn't really know what that meant. Um, and then we get talking a little bit more and we're having dinner. I go, so what do you mean retail? Like, And I automatically was like, do they own a little convenience store right. in their community? Like, what do you mean by that? And he goes, no, they're in the, the swimwear business. Mm. And I go, okay, okay. And um, he, I won't name it. And then he just names the company. Right. Okay. I didn't know who it was because I buy my, my <laughs> wife buys my swimming products probably at freaking right. Walmart. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and he went downstairs and my wife went, oh my God, do you, do you know how big that is? And I go, no. And she goes, it is massive, Kyle. Yeah. Like, and so, you know, these are very yeah. wealthy mm-hmm. retailers. They did very, very well. Right. Right. Um, but I just thought it was funny. He goes, they're in retail. Yeah. <laughs> like, and we and he was being that. humble. Right. He was being humble because of what this store, what the, what what, it is. What the, For sure. The mini empire yeah. was, right? I mean, even if people ask me, what do you do? My, my instinct is to say I'm in retail. Right. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, right. I'll sit down. Because, I mean, as you said, I got 14 different titles. I do a bunch of different things sure. in retail that are that are. I mean, my wife barely explains what I do for a living. Right. You know, and, and my wife know. barely talks to me, man. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, you see, we're, we're dinks. We're, yeah. we're empty houses. There we only go. have each other to talk there to. Go. There you go. Um, and for those of you that don't know what a dink is, it's a double income, no kids. Right. Okay. <laughs> 2023 we have to explain we do some of those things for sure (laughs) sorry to interrupt the relentless podcast everybody although this is a very good message we want you to go and check out our relentless merchandise store that's right we have launched a merchandise store for all of our relentless garb we've got t-shirts we've got hoodies we've got crew necks we've got hats we've got toques And we're going to be coming out with some more merchandise in the very near future. So please, www.youcan.ca, that's Y-O-U-C-A-N.ca. When you get to the website, you look up to the top right corner. I think it says, buy our merch. Hit that button. Boom. It'll take you there. We really want you to wear our stuff. One, because every dollar raised goes directly into our programming for the young people we work with. And two, because it's a conversation starter for you. When you wear it, people are going to go, what's relentless? You can then brag about how you support an incredibly good organization helping young people. And then you can talk about how you are relentless in your life. That's what we want. We don't want us to just be relentless. We want you to be relentless too. Thanks for your support, and we appreciate you helping us out. Now, back to the show. Okay, let's talk about what your day-to-day would look like. Uh, uh, you're, you're talking that you're working with, with we'll call I like the term mom-pop sure. shops. Okay, you're yep. working with that, but then you're also working with a golf town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do big stuff, too. So what, what does your day-to-day look like? Uh, you know, as far as Canadian Retail Solutions goes, I'm really their visionary leader. 
I don't, I don't get intensely involved in the day to day. And that, that part of the business is really technology driven. It is about inventory management and point of sale systems and development. And then on the other side of the company, we have what we call our consulting division, okay. which we, we call the wealthy retailer. Um, and, and so my day to day really is a check in on the POS business. And then diving in the with POS my POS business point of sale, not okay. yeah. <laughs> but most people think of point of sale Retail as retail for of, dummies here, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So point of yeah. sale, which is technology. So when you're standing in front of a, you're at a store, okay. and you're buying something, that system that's in front of you, not where you put your credit card, but the thing they're keying information into or scanning is really an inventory management solution or a point of sale solution. It tracks customers and inventory and 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 creates your receipt. And that's all data driven. So we we work on all that data to help Peter people better manage their business. Okay. And then when it comes to the other side, that consulting side, that's where I spend my life. I spend that's the, the side the that you love the though, because oh. that's the relational piece. Of course, yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's the place where I get to make the biggest change. You know, when I think about selling point of sale software, it's built, it's canned, it does what it's supposed to do. It's a hammer. It's a tool. You, sure. you know, as long as you know how to use that hammer, you can build a house. Sure. Um, but on the other side, there's a whole lot more that goes into it. It's not just how do I manage data or customer information. It's how do I buy for one and sell for three? Mm. What's involved in that from operational efficiencies to marketing to mindset? I mean, executive coaching takes up almost half of my day. I say executive coaching. Really, it is me working directly with an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And but saying, do you love hey, the mindset this. stuff? Oh, like you, like, well, like, like you when we were chatting the other day, like you yeah. love the mindset I do. stuff. So what what does that look like then like you're you're you're, because i'm assuming that oh i can actually can i or can i not running you can see what what i think Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't understand about a charity is it's a business right it is a business we bring money in we put money out it's a business and there are certain things that stress me Mm -hmm. about a business and i think that even sorry to i'm not trying to like take over this portion of it but you might even have some cool insights on this too where Running a charity, when people like make donations to charity or like for you, for example, you know, you support us through comedy nights and you'll buy a table and then you make a donation, all that type of stuff. There are some people in this world that are very specific where my donation needs to go to this. Right. But they're not looking at the bigger picture of the fact that we are like a business where we have rent to pay or a mortgage to pay. We have toilet paper to buy. We have electricity to pay for. We have all this overhead stuff. And without it, we can't actually, my, our, you know what our product is? Helping young people and having young people come out the other side of our work. Right. Restored. Right. So I, I just find it all interesting that there is so much that goes into it. But the mindset piece of it, there are many times over my 20, almost 21 years that you can, not many, but enough right. to make me go, is this worth it? <laughs> is this what I want to do? Right. Which yeah, this is a daily you grind get, in anything. You, you get beaten down, right? right? So you you must be dealing with a lot of people that that are jacked up, and then they're beaten down, right? And then they're pumped up, and then they're beaten down. Yeah, I kind of call it. I, with all due respect, I call it a bipolar roller coaster. Mm. You know, I wake up in the morning and I think, boy, oh boy, I'm the smartest guy in the world. I'm going to be so successful in retail. And then tomorrow I wake up and think, oh my god. I'm terrible at this. Mm. And you go through this emotional swing. And typically, that world of retail is very, very lonely. Mm -hmm. It is 
a half of a family that runs it. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a spouse that has a store and the other spouse works outside of the home on something mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have that ability to really connect with someone and share the peaks and valleys. It's easy to share peaks. It's easy for everyone to celebrate the highs. It's almost impossible for people to celebrate the lows. They want to commiserate. And if you don't understand the low that someone's going through, you leave them in the valley. 100%. You can't pull them out. You can't lift them out. No. And really, you know, I say pull them out or push them out or lift them out. It is really me getting behind them and steering their emotional uh, position at any given day to say, mm-hmm. hang on a second. It's easy to find the negative in anything. If you look mm-hmm. for it, we're surrounded by negativity, mm-hmm. but you've got to look at the things that are going right and build from that. And that's part of where we find success in that mindset world. It's changing someone's perspective. It's the same information. We're both looking at it the same, at the same information, but processing it differently. And I have to change sometimes the way people process what they see, what they feel, what they read. Sure. Yeah. Without a degree. You... <laughs> It's not the easiest thing. Uh, you know, I'm a life learner. I spend as much of my day learning about things as I do teaching about things. Yeah. You know, if, because if I don't grow myself, sooner or later, everybody I work with outgrows me. Oh, 100%. Right. 100%. Right. Everything you're describing, Dan, is stuff that I've been through. And again, back to my point of like charities or business. They I are. think that people think nonprofits, oh, you can't have no money. Right. That's a lie. It is. We it's called surplus. Yeah. And we want surplus so that we can put it towards future things. Make good decisions with. Yeah. The same as business. Right. The only difference is nobody's making profit off of it. Right. So as we are going into this phase of you say, so now I'm going to start, consult me, please, Dan. Consult me. <laughs> um, send me a bill. Uh, maybe don't. Um, <laughs> as we are going to the next phase of of our organization, it's that whole tipping point thing where we are now at this size. We are busting at the seams of the place right. that we rent. Our programs are getting a little bit bigger and we need more room. We need we want to grow them, not to do more programs, but to do to serve more people with right. what we do. And we've been surplusing and putting money away, and we're gonna go into this capital campaign thing. And I will tell you, yeah. as I'm looking at this, I've never done it. I've raised a lot of money for you, Ken. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of program development. I believe I've I've been the HR guy. I've been, like everything. Yeah. Okay. And I get imposter syndrome, man. I yeah. look at this this donor table that we're looking at, like a right. table chart of okay, we need a one million dollar donor and we need two to three five hundred thousand dollars. Right. And I'm going, holy shit, man. Where like, are we getting? Where are we getting those dudes? <laughs> like, I know some guys with money, but I yeah. don't think they're giving me a mill. Right. And that, to me, is the mindset stuff that I have to, like, switch all the time. Right. All the time. And I think if you look, if you look to um, the landscape, especially in the greater Edmonton area, you know, I, I, I kind of get what you're saying. I don't know if you know this or not, but I spent a little over a decade um, with the Community Hospital Foundation. I did not know that. Here in St. Albert. I was their chair for a long time, their vice chair. I mean, I chaired everything. I really dove into that business, yeah. <laughs> into that foundation. You see, I made that mistake of calling it a business, but it is a business. It is a business. And the success that I think I brought to that organization over my, over my tenure there was that I treated it like a business. Mm-hmm. Money in and money out. And mm-hmm. if we weren't successful at the sell, selling 
our, our offerings, right. we could never be successful at the give. Mm -hmm. And I always viewed this like I was the voice of the person that couldn't afford to make a difference, to make a difference in their life. You know, and the things that we funded, and you talk about capital campaigns, I'll tell you this, um, raising money for a capital campaign is far easier than raising money for a day-to-day -day operation mm -hmm. because a capital campaign has substance to it sure. that people can sink their teeth into. There's bricks, there's mortar, they might even put their name on it. Right, right, right. because there is some substantial uh, product that comes out of that where the day-to-day -day is, well, where'd you spend your money? What do you mean you needed supplies? You've got to do it with less money. No, we don't. We need all of that day-to-day -day operating capital so that we can foster bigger capital campaigns. And if you look at our hospital in St. Albert, I mean, it is over the years, over the last 20 years, it has really been driven by capital campaigns. Absolutely. And us identifying where there's a government shortfall mm -hmm. and how we as a community can go and take over for that government. Mm -hmm. Government doesn't fund um, uh, expansions. Governments mm -hmm. don't fund programs. They, fund, they build hospitals and people. Mm -hmm. That's what they do. Mm -hmm. And so as a foundation, we always had to focus on, you know, how do we make this environment better? How do we give our physicians and our nurses and our healthcare, you know, professionals better tools to serve the community that we live in? Which in a way, sorry, I'm going to, yeah. this is obviously top of front of mind for me with you. It's the same thing with you, Ken. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, I'm trying to give my staff every tool possible to have the biggest, most Right. impactful job that they can do with these young people. Right. Because we're talking about lives here. Right. So when I say it's the product, but these are lives, lives that we're dealing with. And so whenever I think of, of you know, you're right. Uh, listen, we do get some government funding for our programs. Of we're, course. We're, we're great government funding. We yes. have great relationships with them. Um, I'm a greedy nonprofit guy, man. Right. Because we need more money so we can do more things for these young people to set right. them up for success. And you know the biggest return on the investment of that product is for us? Is when we turn them into taxpayers. Right. And now they are helping our economy and they are helping pay, you know. It is part of that circular economy that we is. have to create as, I mean, this is the thing, Kyle. We have to view ourselves as leaders in our own circle, whatever right. that, whatever size that is, right. it's our job to lead people to a better existence, whatever that looks like. It doesn't mean that, you know, we've got to take the most troubled and turn them into non-troubled because you and I are as troubled as anybody we've ever met. Sure. Right. That's, that's, that's sure. us as humans. It's just humans. Right. And so for us, we've got to really understand that we have to lead the people around us. And whether that's our brothers or sisters or husbands or wives or children, you know, if we don't lead them down this philanthropic path, I say philanthropic, but it is, for me, it's about turning up your give a shit meter. Absolutely. You need to care as much about that person that you see standing on the corner as you do your own child because they're part of our economy, part of our community, pardon me. And if, if they become, you know, successful in their own right they're giving back that's part of our circular economy that's how we grow as a community even mm -hmm. yeah and, and i like needle. that you said successful in their own right yeah because success doesn't mean that you're a millionaire <sighs> no. success means that you are happy and content happy. in life yeah and that you that's what i look at right. it as and you one know of the, one of the biggest things i learned as a young coach 
was that I had to underst better understand what success meant. How did I define success? You know, if you've ever listened to Sean Aker or the happiness advantage, Sean will tell you that it is always happiness ahead of all else. Mm. Before you will ever be successful, you have to be happy. Mm -hmm. He will say, you know, you were taught work harder, you know, study harder. You're going to get good grades and you'll be successful. But success is only a measure of how happy you are, mm. right? Mm -hmm. There is no line. Okay, now I'm successful. Mm. The most successful business people in the world that are unhappy are going to off themselves or do I, something I, crazy. I, I agree with you that, that the happiness piece, but don't you think that really successful people, and I say really successful because to me that is that level of happiness, right. but successful people, can't. they're not always satisfied. Right. Right. So, yes. so I'm trying to like reconcile, but how can you be happy, but not satisfied? And I'll tell you why I'm saying this because yeah. I'm not always satisfied. Right. I want more. Yes. I, when, when, when I say we have an 82% success rate with the young person walking in and when they leave, they have a job and they have that job for six months. What a number. Yeah. Admirable. Why isn't 83? Right. Why isn't it 85? Right. Why isn't it 90? Like I'm, and sometimes I think my staff are like, oh my God, here he comes. Un right. Unsatisfied Kyle. The fact that we're busting our asses off and these kids, because again, we're dealing with humans. Right. And even with fundraising, yep. like our comedy nights, and you've been to a bunch of them now, every year we raise more money. Mm -hmm. Every year the event gets bigger. These events usually die off after 10 years. Right. We're going on to our 14th. And it's getting, getting it's bigger and bigger. Awesome. Yeah. And you know what? As happy as I am, as three days later, I'm like, mm, no, right. but not you satisfied. Can't, you can't you, you can't allow complacency to slide into your life because that's mm. what pulls us back from whatever our measure of success is. Right. It is this burning desire to continue growing. And if I mean, without growth, what happens to us? Mm -hmm. And so you have to grow and you have to be driven by growth. Mm -hmm. Not, okay, I need more money. I need more. What is it that I want now? Mm -hmm. And our wants and our needs change as we evolve. And you have to have this, <laughs> I was going to say relentless pursuit, but that's really well, what it is. Well, you better say it. You're on the relentless <laughs> podcast, brother. You need to have this relentless pursuit to your dot on the map. And you've traveled. And you know that that dot on the map changes. Oh, yeah. Right? As we get older, as we mature, as we evolve, the dot changes. And without this pursuit of that dot, we shrink back. Mm -hmm. So it's never wrong to want more. No. It's how we capture more that's more important. I think sometimes if you, if you use the, the term never satisfied, it sounds negative. Right. And it's not negative to no. me. It's, it's, we, we actually used to have, like, we, we changed all, we had 15 values at UCAM. <laughs> and I was like, look at all our values. And then, like, not one staff member, I couldn't right. tell you all of our values. I was like, holy shit, that's a lot of values. So we put it down to five. And one, a few of my staff were like, well, one of our values was never be satisfied. They got the concept, but they're like, it sounds negative. So right. actually, you know what we call it now? Build momentum. Yeah. Which is celebrating the successes but continue moving forward right? because like you said, that complacency, if you're just running to stand still, it doesn't matter. I had to drop a U2 song in there. <laughs> if you're just running to stand still, it, it, what's the point? Right. What's the right. point? And I think if you have this philosophy, they call it this Kaizen. 
They call it this Kaizen approach to life or to business or to whatever. It's the philosophy of never ending improvement. How do I be just a little bit better tomorrow than I was yesterday? Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. the definition of growth. Yeah. It's not about how much bigger I get. It's how much more I have learned and can apply to change where I'm headed. I'm trying to remember, because again, I'm not the coldest beer in the fridge, but I'm trying to remember the there's an athlete that basically their thing was if you can become, I think it was Kobe Bryant. Yeah, Kobe Bryant was like, you need to become 1% better every game. Every day, yeah. That's what it was, right? Mm -hmm. So it's so interesting. But that's you think so about athletics today, that's the only way we move the needle. Oh, 100%. 100%. Thank you. Um, and, and that's the thing is, you know, well, let's talk about relentless because you talked about the relentless sure. pursuit. Uh, what does that mean to you? What is relentless, you know, yeah. what does that mean to you? What does it look like for you? Well, for me, relentless and tenacious are often synonyms. They mean a lot of the same thing. Yeah. Tenacious perhaps has a stubbornness quality to sure. it that, that maybe looks at that word a little more on the negative side than mm -hmm. the word relentless. For me, relentless is all about the pursuit of passion and the undying dedication to achieve the goal that I set in front of me. Yeah, yeah. That's relentless. That's, yeah. It doesn't matter what happens to me. That's the dot. doesn't matter what roadblock gets put in front of me. I'm going to find a way over, around, through it, but that's where I'm going. Mm -hmm. That's about relentless. For mm -hmm. me, that's relentless. And in the retail world, mm -hmm. small or big, yeah. you got to yeah, be Yeah, you have to be relentless. You know, you talk about core values, your values from 15 down to six. You know, the entrepreneurial operating system teaches us that three to five values are really key. That's what you need. And for me, I live by my core values. My core values are wealth, mm. which is really where the wealthy retailer came from. Mm. Wealth has nothing to do with money. Mm. Wealth is all about creating a win-win in your environment. Mm -hmm. A win for Kyle, a win for Dan, and a win for whoever put us together. Mm -hmm. In this case, you know, it's Lolly. Lolly's going to get a win. There's three of us that are going to win. If I win and you lose, what good is that? Right. Right? right. This isn't a game we're playing, although it could be de deemed as a game. So I focus a lot on that W in wealth. It's about creating a win-win environment. Yeah. I then talk about energy. E is for energy. One of my values is to have energy. You know, whenever you talk to me, wherever we are, you're not going to get this downtrodden conversation. I'm going to, I get, my chest comes up. I want to talk. On. I want to hear you. I want to talk to you. That's about having energy. And you think about retail. Have you ever walked into a store and thought, Am I in a funeral home? Yeah. You know, it's quiet. I have. There's no music. There's nothing going on. It's like I'm the person working is like, hello. Right. Right. Where's your energy? Right. You know, energy breeds a little bit of that success in retail. So you have to be energized. And then A is for admired. I want to be admired. Not because I have this bigger than me ego, but it's because I want to do admirable things. I want people to look at me and say, that's a guy you should talk to. Oh, you're in retail. You should talk to that guy. Even if you get one thing out of a 20 minute conversation with me, that was admirable. Mm -hmm. That's me giving, not, not hand out, hand up here. Here's information. Mm -hmm. Here's what mm -hmm. I know. Here's what I've learned. And so you have to have that admirable quality in retail. I want, I want my retail stores to feel like they're admired by their customers, their peers, their vendors, their partners. I want them to feel admired because that makes us do admirable things. Sure. Right. And then I think about lean, not lean like me, like us, <laughs> but lean in that I am, I am tight on my operating. I don't have excess expense laying around that. I'm lean in my approach. I'm lean in my conversation. I'm lean in my inventory that I practice lean manufacturing. Mm. I only need just this much today and I'm good. And then tenacious 
for me, tenacious has to be one of my values that, yeah. you know, I treat setbacks like anomalies. I get up and I charge forward towards that dot on the map. And then wealth ends with H. And for me, that's about the happiness that comes mm. from living the previous five. I couldn't get it to five. I had to get it to six, you know, but that's, it's hard work to really understand what guides you, your values, your belief system, you know, your core values are really guiding principles. And if you can't look back on your day and say, tick, 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 you're not really allowing them to guide your daily interactions. And that's got to be part of what we do. You have to be relentless. You have to be tenacious. You have to be admired and you got to be happy. Good Lord, Dan Holman. You're a preacher, man. <laughs> Preach it, brother. Come to the retail world. <laughs> come to the, come re to the retail world. Come we'll to, oh, come to the retail chapel. <laughs> Listen to Reverend Dan. That was unbelievable. That is so cool. But that's the way I live and breathe every day. You I know, see, but I don't, it, okay, it's but just Dan, genuine. But that's Dan, it. it's cool, though. Like, the fact that you <laughs> live know. and breathe that way every day. Like, you, how much? Yeah. Just to just walk beside me <laughs> all the time. And when I'm down, just be like, Dubay, yeah. let me give you another acronym. But like, you see, that's the thing. One of my mentors said, to, said to a prospective client she said i really want to work with this dan and he said well if you're looking for a cheerleader he's your guy right and i was offended by that and i called mark and i said mark you called me a cheerleader mm. and he said you're the better cheerleader than anybody i've ever met mm. you always find something to rise them up mm -hmm. instead of kicking them you know you got to figure out how to step on someone's shoes sure. without messing up their shine sure you know how do you push just a little so, bit without hurting them so are you still offended that he called you a cheerleader no Okay, because I thought maybe no. you were offended that I said be my chair. No, 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 not at all. You did because I actually think that we can't be successful without cheerleaders. Right. I I truly believe that. I have I have described certain people in my life as they are my biggest fans, mm. and I, I my best friend Bob, who I don't know if I'm his best friend, right? But he's my best yeah. friend. It's a debate. There's other guys involved, but yeah. regardless. <laughs> He is one of my biggest fans. Right. I tease about my wife a lot. She is one of my biggest fans. Yeah. I've got a couple other people. My mom, unfortunately, passed away. She was one of my biggest fans. And yeah. without those people, we're kind of fucked. Right. Like, that's the truth of it all. It is. Right? It is. So, I just, all the things you're talking about, oh, my gosh, I understand yeah. why people want to work with you. Well, I think it's, it's, it is because I can find that positive light. Mm -hmm. I, I, not because I have some conjured up idea of the way things should be. It's this You've is also the reality. experienced it, though, Dan. Yeah. You've seen it. You've experienced right. it. You're not blowing sunshine up somebody's ass. You're right. actually saying, listen, this is the reality. And sometimes the reality is hard. Right. You put your head down, you grind it out, and there's a little bit of pain before the child is born. Right. Right? Like that's a yeah, 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 yeah. U2 reference. That's <laughs> that that's a whole thing where right. you before something great can happen, there's for there's the most pain. part gonna be pain. Listen, this I, I read this yesterday. Whether you decide to quit or push forward, they're both going to be painful. Right. Choose wisely. Right. Yeah. Do you want oh, to give up today? That is good. Man, that's painful. Sure. You want to push forward? Man, that's painful. Sure. Choose and, wisely. And the quit, that pain might not come for a while because all of a sudden the consequences of that right. quit hit you six years later, yep. six months later, six whatever that is. And then that's where some of that right. pain comes and in. And I think part of us growing as 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 business people, as entrepreneurs, is the ability to choose between give up or go forward, mm. knowing that both are painful and taking that pain as, you know, when moving forward, that I'm going to grow from that. I'm going to learn something and I'm going to, I'm going to buy an education. I'm going to buy a degree here. Sure. I'm going to go and learn this from somebody else and it's going to be painful, sure. but I'm going to grow.
The Relentless Podcast is brought to you by You Can Youth Services, which I am very proud to be a part of. You Can Youth Services is an organization that helps young people move out of harm's way and onto a path of economic independence. If you want to learn more about the incredible work that we do with some very vulnerable young people, please go to www.youcan.ca. That's www.youcan.ca. Let's get into this a little bit. <laughs> as far as retail goes, I'm assuming, like the rest of the world, you had to really do some uh, shimmy shaking and hustling and changing when COVID hit. Yep. What was that like for you guys? You know, on both sides of the business, for me, for Canadian Retail Solutions, you know, our point of sale activities really all stopped. As stores closed, they didn't need us. Mm -hmm. And so we lost a large portion of that audience for a good period of time. Mm -hmm. And then the independent retailer, the ones that live and breathe based on what they buy and sell every day, were challenged. Their stores were mm -hmm. closed. And they had to, I hate this word, but they had to pivot. Right. I think they had to evolve. I mean, COVID was really a revolutionary period. Yeah. That It's forced evolution, which is what that was. You're right. Someone forced evolution on us in retail, and we had to learn to do business a different way. Yeah. And it really meant that our business ground to a halt, mm. um, which was painful. Mm -hmm. But we've been smart along the way that we built resiliency in our business for just these exact valleys that we're going to come against. And whether we label it COVID or depression or some other thing, sure. recession, whatever. Yeah, you didn't know it was going to be, be a pandemic. No, no. But you were you were planned for... We were already planned for downturn. As you call it, a valley. Yeah. And so when when all of our retailers really started to struggle... We had to evolve. I had to evolve. And Trevor said when I walked in, you know, the bulldog. Well, we went to a bulldog phase during COVID and said, stop all the bullshit. Don't listen to anything else. This is what you need to do. Mm -hmm. This is how you're going to survive this. Mm -hmm. And it was really that shift that we made that said, okay, you're uncomfortable online. I'm sorry. You got to go where it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. We got to figure out a way to get your audience, you in her home now. How do we do that? Right. Which is really the biggest evolution in retail in the last hundred years was moving from a brick and mortar store into someone's living room. Right. Which you and I both know the living room is the best place to sell anything. Absolutely. It's where people are most comfortable. Yeah. And so we haven't seen a large shift back into brick and mortar. Certainly the transition of the non-technical people in our world are very happy. The people that long for social engagement mm -hmm. went straight back to retail stores. That's right. But there's a big audience that still feels like there's more convenience online. I want you to know most people don't let me into their living room. <laughs> it's, a, it's a long story. We don't need to get into it. <laughs> but the point is that we go where people are most comfortable, sure. where they're the most open to ideas. And at the end of the day right now, I mean, I see it in, in my house and truthfully, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a shopper. My yeah. wife does a lot of like, I don't think I bought right. myself a pair of jeans in 15 <laughs> years. Like she does all that stuff for me. Um, but now people are comfortable on their keyboards. For sure. We're doing a lot of it right. But yeah. I still think there's this, this beauty of going in and actually, touching the clothing or, yep. or looking at it or interacting with somebody working in the store or whatever that looks like. I'm actually, do you know what I love? I love small convenience stores. Do <laughs> I do. I love them. And I think the reason why is because I grew up with a guy who is very successful. I'll, I'll say who it is, Bobby Amar. Mm. Uh, he's actually a Mercedes-Benz dealership yeah. owner. He's one of our huge sponsors uh, for Combi Nights. 
growing up, his dad, his family owned a very small convenience store in downtown Edmonton. Truthfully, a bit of a rough part of town. Yeah. And Bobby, every Saturday night, I remember in junior high, like he had to go work there and the family all worked there. And I loved, <laughs> we'd go there Saturday nights. Bobby had this little probably black and white TV yeah. sitting there and he'd just be sitting there. It reminds <laughs> you of something you see in a movie. Sure. Um, like, the, you know the movie Mystic River? Ah, uh, uh, such a great movie with Sean Penn and okay. he owns this little oh, convenience yeah, store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just reminds me of, of stuff like that in the <laughs> movies and that was the, kind of what the what Bobby did. We'd go in there and he'd go, his dad would let us like have a, a pop or a chop. Yeah. That's it. Like, that's it. So, you're not one thing. We'd go in and we'd have it and we'd sit and we'd watch a little bit of Hockey Night in Canada that was on and then, yeah. we'd, but you know, then we'd drive all the way back into St. Albert because we had driven all the right. way to 107, 107 <laughs> is where it was. No kidding. Right? And I've just always had this. If there's a small convenience store like that, I would. If, yeah. if I got, I'll go in there every time. Yeah, for sure. Me it's too. Such a cool thing. There's a great story here in St. Albert. You know, in Forest Glen, there's a. I think it's called Forest Convenience. Right. Right. You know, that guy is the definition of entrepreneurialism. Mm -hmm. It's it. While it might be a convenience store, you can rent a U-Haul. Right. You can get an ice cream cone. You right. can get a Slurpee. I, th I think they now have like this awesome ice cream yes. shop there. That's yeah. people are saying it's the best. It's ice the cream best ice cream in the right. city. Right. Yeah. But that's the definition of an entrepreneur. Right. In a convenience environment. Right. Which is just retail. It's just another form of retail. I love it. Yeah. I grew up with uh, the Red Rooster. The Red Rooster. The Red Rooster <laughs> was around the corner from our house. And my, my dad and my grandpa would send me and my brother buy smokes. Yeah. This is back in the day, man. <laughs> six, my brother's eight, I'm six. We'd walk in. We'd go, can we get a pack, two packs of Players Filter regular? And there were two bucks each. The, the, I don't even think we ever had to bring a note. Yeah. Jay, the guy that ran it knew my day is like okay just sold us and yeah. then we got to keep a dollar to buy the mojos <laughs> and like whatever i love the red rooster man i love uh, the red rooster happy pop you yeah. sold happy pop or there anyways um this has been such an interesting conversation dan and and before we get into the relentless quiz yeah. which is it's really going to determine if you're relentless okay because Fair. i didn't hear any passion in your voice right in the, I know. i'm doing my best in the last 45 minutes <laughs> Um, where, where do you see retail going in the future here? Let's call it the next decade. It's, it's brick and mortar. It's mom and pop. Um, I think that you're seeing a larger shift to support local, to support mm -hmm. community. I think we're recognizing now, as we see some of these bigger box enterprise retailers, they close without care or concern, mm -hmm. you know, here, we're just going to close store number 134. But that person that's here in St. Albert with a with a, a retail apparel store or a sporting goods store, they don't have that choice to close store 134. They're going to make it or break it in their store. And we're starting to understand that. We're starting to recognize that department store buying isn't the best for us. That when I spend money in my local retailer, that money stays in my community. Mm -hmm. And when I need something, that's the person I go and talk to. Mm -hmm. I don't go talk to the Home Depots of the world. I don't go and talk to, you know, any other big retailer. I don't walk into Nordstrom's and say, hey, can I get a $500 sponsorship for my kid's soccer team? Mm -hmm. No, you walk into the local independent retailer and you ask them. Mm -hmm. And I think you're going to see more of that. It's I interesting you say that because even for our comedy nights, uh, it's the local folks that donate. Of course it is. It's the local yeah. folks that are giving us things for a silent auction. Bella yep. Moss. Yeah. Right. I mean, what a great story. Right. I mean, Lindsay is that person that recognizes the power of the give, mm -hmm. of being connected to something that's greater than 
what she is that's mm-hmm. got that's got a greater purpose mm-hmm. you know and i don't know that there's a better purpose in life than than taking youth to a new place sure and i i sort of say that from a very personal place not because i'm that person that was a troubled youth but you know my parents growing up um you know they didn't have the financial well-being to be philanthropic but they had to give of themselves mm. you know i grew up in a foster home i tell people i grew up in a foster home they were my mom and dad biologically but they brought in troubled youth into the home and raised mm. those girls like they were their own i didn't know that yeah it's it's a it's a long crazy story but okay it's it's not that long you know through my lifetime between the time i was you know 1 to 12 years old i had 52 foster girls come through my house wow and two boys. Um, and, and that was what my mom and dad had to give, was of themselves, of their values, of their time, the dedication to that troubled teenage girl that who knows what would happen to her, you know, if, if she didn't have a place to sleep that right, night. Right. You know, so I really saw firsthand what it meant to, to give of them. You know, do, do I want everyone to grow up in that environment? No, no, not a chance. But it was for me this understanding at a very young age that you give you know you give what you can and when we think about philanthropy you know you and i are going looking for the person with the check was money but we need sweat equity as much as we need money people think it's money but what your folks did Mm. is philanthropy yeah um yeah some might argue more valuable than a dollar some might for sure i agree with that and i probably would Mm mm-hmm unfortunately we need dollars to we need dollars happen. right but the fact that your folks did that yeah I, it's it's probably you know they're my mom and dad so there's a whole lot of things to really be admirable or to admire in them but sure. that's probably the thing for me that it's one of the most admirable things that as a very young married couple they chose to, to sure. do that you know my mom is only 20 years older than i am mm-hmm so, you know, think about me being one. She was 21 years old wow. and, and bringing in teenage girls that wow. she was probably only five or seven years sure. older than. Sure. And giving them a place. Potentially three guidance. or four. Potentially. Four or five. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Potentially my so, folks too. My dad's 20 years up on me. My mom was 19 years yeah. up on me. Yeah, they had me up. Yeah. And I have an older brother. <laughs> <laughs> Do the math, everybody. <laughs> well, the funny thing about my family is I think we're five generations of 20 years. My oh, grandmother... Wow was 20 when my mom was born. My yeah. mom was 20 when I was born. Yeah. I was 20 when my daughter was born. My grandson was born when my daughter was oh, 20. That's kind of cool. So he's going to break that. I'm yeah, sure yeah, of it. Yeah, he's yeah. 14 now. He's going to break that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're hopeful. Right? You're hopeful. <laughs> um, that's a pretty incredible story about your folks, uh, man. Yeah. And and for you to grow up around that, and let's be honest, probably irritating at times. You were probably angry about it at times because uh, you're a kid. I'm a kid. Right? But now as you've grown, you're looking back going, man, my parents gave a lot. Yeah. They gave a lot. Yeah. That's and, very cool. you know, I have these conversations with, with, with one of my coaches, you know, a psychologist, one of them, I call him a coach. Yeah. You know, and, and we often will make reference to some of my challenge today being buried so deep inside my childhood that I couldn't recognize that that's, that's why I feel the way I do. Sure. You know, people will say this all the time. Well, they're family. We're going to do anything we can for family. Well, I treat friends the same way. I, I mean... Friends are family. Family are friends. If you, it, you know, they're synonymous for me. I am million and so percent that's, agree. And so that's kind of how I live. I am million percent And I agree. feel like that's the way my mom and dad lived too. Yeah. They, were, they were family. Family. Which family. is why I still call them foster sisters. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. As weird as are that you, might be. Are you connected to any of them or no? 
Uh, yeah, there's still a few of them that yeah, are I was around, say, for sure. 52, you got to be like, yeah, there's, there's be for sure. My mom yeah. still has a lot of good close relationships. Mm. Um, I still get, you know, at the men's company that we have, I'll get a, a Candace will say, oh, you're one of your foster sisters bought something. And in the note, she says, say hi to Danny, mm. you know, so there is some still connection to those to those people for to, sure i need to bring your mom on here <laughs> she's, she's tell the relentless story of having how many she have 52 52 girls two boys 54 foster 54 kids, kids through her years. home in 12 years that's yeah. relentless man yeah. big big dinner table this is why i understand why you like philanthropy <laughs> well yeah i learned from a young age it's cool and, and and everyone in my circle you know i moved here without friends we didn't know anybody here except the person i was coming to work with and so i leaned on social sort of philanthropic organizations right. to find my place. The first thing I did was join a rotary club here, right. you know, and I was with the Santa Barbara rotary club for a decade or more. Um, and, and I learned from, from mentors in that club, what sure. it meant, sure. which led me to join the hospital foundation. And, sure. and you know, it's which now is going to yeah. lead you to maybe help us. Well, it will. Absolutely. I mean, it already hey, does. Kyle. Hey, it already no, does. I'm talking my capital campaign. <laughs> oh, capital campaign we'll yeah. talk after. Yeah. We'll talk after. <laughs> Uh, one thing, twig and berries. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> my favorite. People are like, <laughs> we know that it's a company that your yes. I think your daughter owns it now, but well, you guys yeah. also you guys all own it. You guys uh, yeah. started. It's it? a family thing. Yeah, it's, Candace it's runs apparel. that company. Candace it's runs apparel. the apparel company. Because <laughs> yeah. I just go, uh, anyways, a bunch of twig and berries. <laughs> Uh, no, Twig and Berries is a, an apparel company, folks. And actually, one of my favorite shirts, and my wife would go, oh, I love that shirt on you, is the long sleeve, black long sleeve ODR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's so yeah. comfortable. It's oh, such yeah. a great shirt, man. So let's yeah. give a plug to Twig and give Berries. Give it out. Yeah. Yes. There's a big new ODR launch coming this yeah. fall with a bunch of new ODR yeah. gear. ODR is outdoor rink. Outdoor rink for yeah. you non-Albertans <laughs> or Canadians. Yeah, outside of Alberta. Yeah. Um, anyways. <laughs> Yeah. Great shirt. But that's Listen. part of how we live in retail. I mean, I own a retail company. I, sure. You know, we live and breathe it every yeah. day. And my daughter does now, too. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, okay. We, uh, honestly, Dan, I think you and I could, mm. we could just keep going here. <laughs> and I have thoroughly enjoyed this because, uh, you know, I think even we got to figure out how we're going to title this thing, Glenny, because th this was a bit about retail stuff, but it was about so much more. Mm. It was it. It truly is about relentless, but it was about leadership, and it was about digging in deep, and it was about all that stuff. And I love that you talked about what your folks did. You know, with your mom in particular, like so cool, man. I have really enjoyed this, but we are not going to find out if you are relentless. relentless. All right, the relentless quiz. You say that you've listened to the podcast, ah. so you've probably heard the pod, the, the relentless quiz. Here we go. It's scientifically right. done shit ton of money put into this dan the man fruits or vegetables mm, absolutely fruit okay okay city or countryside countryside dirty bathroom or dirty kitchen Ooh, dirty bathroom okay salty or sweet i gotta have them both that's a tough one to choose if i had to sweet sweet Morning or night? A morning. Okay. Favorite comedy movie of all time? Step Brothers. It's two in a <laughs> row, man. Two in a row. Such a funny movie. Such a good movie. Big party or small gathering? <sighs> Big party. Okay. 
phone in the bathroom or no phone in the bathroom? Phone in the bathroom. Oh, thank you. And you were fast on that and you were honest. <laughs> people, Some people are like, no phone. And it's such a lie when they say right. no phone in the bathroom. You know what? Because to me, what it is, is it's today's newspaper. It's today's right. Mad Magazine or whatever magazine people yeah. are reading. Okay. Thank you for honesty. Uh, favorite love song of all time? <sighs> That's a tough one. I don't know. My wife will tell you that I'm a sappy guy and I like sappy music. I love music that tells a good story and there mm-hmm. isn't a love song out there that doesn't tell a pretty good story. Okay. Um, so it's it's more about genre probably for me. But, you know, you go back to the Righteous Brothers, probably you lost that love and feeling, mm-hmm. which is completely different than a traditional such love song. Such a great song. It's such a great song. And yeah. that would be my first. Just, just, you know, that's not from Top Gun, but from, uh, yeah. you know, back, yeah. in, back in the day. I mean, sure. that was certainly it. Sure. Yeah. I grew up with a wide variety of music. You know, my dad was an Elvis guy. My, you know, we, we had all different kinds of music. And even today, you know, if you listen to my playlist, there's probably 13 different genres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the same way. And I've actually just recently, and I've always liked Elvis, but recently got into Elvis more. Yeah. And I don't know why. (laughs) I started watching the, because you know what it was? A couple documentaries came out. Yeah. And one was about that 67 or 68 comeback comeback. Oh my gosh. Unbelievable documentary. Anyways. Yeah. Um, I, it's it's too bad you didn't have one love song. I hope your wife's disappointed <laughs> if she listens. My wife doesn't listen, so I don't know if your wife's going to listen. Uh, cake or pie? Uh, cake. Okay. Last question, Dan Holman. Describe your relentless podcast experience in four words. Enlightening. Educational. Um, I'm, I'm going to say this. Um, I mean, it 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 is heart wrenching to know that we have to do this. And so even to just to come and hear a little bit about it from the horse's mouth, you know, it, it pulls on you. It, it means that you got to make a difference. So, I mean, heart-wrenching for, for sure is one of them. Heart-wrenching in what way? That we don't do enough. Mm. You know, I mean, and that's probably, you know, that probably comes from being a bit of a, you know, I have, an, I have, a, I have a desire to be a problem solver. Mm-hmm. And I see that as a problem, a systemic problem, but a problem nonetheless that could be solved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's a way yeah. yeah i think i you know in, in terms of my work i think that i've said this my entire career it's unfortunate but i will always have a job right and that's the shitty part of my yeah. job um and it can be heart-wrenching a lot of people say you know would say to us oh man your work must be just so gratifying and just and it is sure don't get me wrong but there are many times that it isn't right 80, 82% success rate. What about the other 18 to 20%? Right. What happened to them? What about all the young people that haven't connected to us? Right. And just so you know, there are thousands, thousands in this in this city. Right. So I appreciate you even saying that. Well, you it's, know, I do. Yeah. I told you this before. It's raw. It's just, it's, yeah. the, I don't have this, this persona to live to it's just who i am no and, and that's how i feel about I'll it. i'll tell you what yeah. i like it and folks just so you know this is one of the best smelling guests we've ever <laughs> i don't know what cologne you're i'm a cologne guy and i believe that i am in the top i i, I think i'm in the top six best smelling guys in western canada you might be top four man. wow like you smell really good i'm just telling you 
You're, you're, you smell nice. good. You're handsome. You got good hair. I love the beard. You got it going on, Dan. Dan, where can we find you? Like, where can we find like websites, social media, all that? Yeah, CanadianRetailSolutions.com or TheWealthyRetailer.com is about where you're going to find everything about me okay. or about our company and, and some of the things that we do um, for, our, for our retail community. Um, and I am, I mean, you can see me on Instagram and not Facebook so much, but Instagram, I'm out there. I don't do a lot, but I consume more than I give. I'm a yeah. taker on Instagram, yeah, not a yeah, giver. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, CanadianRetailSolutions.com and you can find more about us. So, this has been yeah. an absolute blast. Folks, to find out more about You Can Use Services, you go to www.youcan.ca. That's Y-O-U-C-A-N.ca. And uh, you can find out about our programs. You can you can listen to more podcasts or watch them. And uh, we just appreciate you listening. Dan, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your story, your passion, because you are a passionate man. And I really, really enjoyed this. Thanks so much. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. This series is proudly produced by the team at Road 55. Road 55 creates content that connects. For more information, check our website, www.road55.ca.